Hello and welcome back once again to the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. This is episode 175. John and Wendy present Where Are They Now? Part 6. I'm your host, John. And I'm Wendy. Okay, I have to. I just have to comment. Uh, I'm hard, I, I can't believe we've done six of these so far. That's awesome. Believe it or not, Wendy. <laughs> believe it or not. How wow. are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm, I'm well. It's no longer 100 degrees in South Dakota, so I'm liking that. Um, I know we don't talk about weather, but... Extreme times. Extreme it's extreme times. times. Oh, my gosh. When I was seeing Portland in a, over 100 degrees, like, man, uh, I'm glad I'm not in Portland. <laughs> well, speaking of extreme times, we are yes. extremely excited that we have a new sponsor for the month of July. Yay. Yes. It is our great friends over at Hewler and Nikki Hoyland. Wendy, yes. our first international sponsor, no less. And that is, uh, to quote you, bananas. I'm excited to be partnered with them. Um, Nikki is fantastic. Obviously, we love her for many reasons, but um, excited to be able to share her company, share Hewler with y'all, and um, really, you know, learn more about them and learn more about what they do and how they do it um, across the pond. We will be sharing more as we go along. If you are interested in getting uh, setting up a, a free trial with them, you go to Hewler.io. That'll be in the show notes. Again, really appreciate Nikki and her team coming on board. And again, and Wendy, it's crazy to think that we have international sponsors now. It's been right? a, a incredibly yeah. surprising. So much fun. Looking forward to this episode. We have two really great people on. We have great people every day, every week, but this is a tremendous conversations with Michael Vandervoort and Kayla Moncayo, which was great to catch up with both of them. So without further ado. And we are super pumped to welcome Michael Vandervoort back to the show. Michael, welcome. Um, First question though, always the same. What is in your glass tonight? So I have a homemade margarita with a dash of Florida's natural orange juice in it. So just limes, some cheap tequila, and some hot Florida orange juice. So it's it's tasty and cold. So that's good. Sounds good. I don't think anybody's had a margarita in a while. No, No. I don't think so. We hear hear a lot of people say it's their favorite, but then they don't have it. So I appreciate you wanting to have it. Yeah, it was. It's what it's what's in the house. I don't keep like a fully stocked (laughs) bar. So it was either beer or crack open a margarita, and I decided to go with the margarita because it'll it's sippable and it'll stay cool for the however long we talk. So you know, plus Margaritaville, right? There you go. There you go. I like it. Yeah. Michael, it's really hard to believe. So you first appeared on episode 44, which was December of 2018. I know a lot's gone on for all of us in that time, but what are you up to now? So first of all, that that is crazy, John, because I, I don't remember. I think that's kind of when we got together for dinner in your home in your home area, kind of the same time, right? I was down and we had dinner, more or less. I don't remember. It's been a, it's been a while. That's yes, it is. So I w- back then I was working with Q, the, uh, the what is now known as a community for positive employee relations, and I was their executive director. I had been doing that at that time for about three years. I continued to do that role until January of 2020, when I returned to my former employer, Publix Supermarkets, in a labor relations specialist role. I had been with Publix for about seven years prior to joining Q. While I was with Q, I had some really, uh, you know, really interesting and amazing opportunities. We did conferences. We did. I did some consulting. Had a lot of fun experiences. But I really began to miss over the last couple of years, prior to rejoining Publix. I really began to miss doing HR work, real HR work in the trenches. And so Publix had an opening. They they liked me. I you know I said, hey, I might be interested in coming back. I actually went to work for a guy who's now my supervisor who I had hired to report to me when I was still at Publix. So we did sort of this inverted, uh, this inverted flip of roles and and it's been great. The only, uh, the only weird catch was I started January, 2020. I continued in a, like a part-time role with Q through March of 2020 because we were trying to put together our spring 2020 conference. We typically did two conferences a year. We had about 300 people at each conference. You know, it's kind of a big deal. It was a big generator of money 
um, and uh, membership for the organization. And on March 15th, I, I signed off with the then acting executive director that had temporarily taken into, stepped in to take my place and said, I think you're good to go on the conference. And on March 20th, more or less, five days later, COVID hit. I mean, it was here, but the official first impacts of shutting down things. And, you know, so I moved to Florida. I did two jobs. I gave up the second job. I was ready to go into the full role and we went into lockdown. So it was very bizarre. Q hasn't done a conference since then. They've done uh, virtual conferences, but no live events. And they're going to do one in September here in Orlando. So I'm looking forward to attending that. It'll be one of the first live events I get back to this year. So it was it was it was a very strange return to what I consider my home state of Florida, and to my old alma mater company, where all of a sudden we were all working from home and in lockdown. And I mean, everybody experienced a different version of that, but it certainly was not the fun return to Florida and the sunny climbs that I had envisioned when I first strolled back <laughs> into the state. So, uh, so it was quite, it was quite different, but we, of course, Florida, our, our governor, who I don't always see eye to eye with our governor had some, uh, had a pretty uh, open position on re getting, getting the economy open and restarted um, the Florida, you know, opening up a lot sooner than a lot of other states. And that has has apparently borne out to be a, a pretty good decision for the economy and it, it, for what is largely a service service based economy, a state with a service based economy. Um, he he probably helped he probably helped us avoid a lot of really bad unemployment issues. Uh, they're bad enough, but they, they could have been way worse had we not been had we been locked down as tightly as many other states. So quite interesting and not exactly what I envisioned, but it you know it's been it's been good. So. It's a long-winded answer, but it had a lot of a lot of stuff to unpack. Again, a lot of things are happening. We yeah. get it. We totally exactly. Get it. Yeah, exactly. It was so. a busy year. You know, yep. we, we know. It was. We get it. Um, so, so in addition to lockdown and the pandemic and all of that, there was a change in administration. So we're seeing um, a lot of potential labor landscape um, changes that have happened. And now that you're back doing labor relations, which is awesome. Um, talk a little bit about what you're seeing in your role and what you think will be the biggest challenge for employers over the next year. There are a couple, and, and, and it's funny because I do labor relations inside a company that has virtually no unionized employees. We're 250,000 employees. We're not, rep we have a, not a single contract or a single representative employee. So my work is largely devoted to what we often refer to as positive employee relations, um, which is to help build culture and maintain our, our uh, employee ownership status, et cetera. But, but, the, but we, we do carefully and closely monitor what's going on in the world of labor, traditional labor relations. Um, and so there are a couple things. Number one, um, when President Biden took over, um, he made a, well, it was, it, it was actually prior, it was a campaign promise that he would be the most union-friendly president in the history of the United States. And he has done a variety of things that would lend credence to his sincerity in trying to uphold that promise. And one of the first things we saw that was within 20 minutes, I think is what they said, if not 20, 30 minutes of being inaugurated, President Biden fired the then sitting uh, general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board, a guy named Peter Robb. Peter was the, is the general counsel, and the board is split into two functions. The general counsel sort of acts like the prosecuting attorney of the board, and then the board the board itself is sort of the the hearing tribunal that conducts you know investigations and renders decisions based on what. Um, the GC directs as far as issues and that kind of thing. So Peter Robb had been a great reformer of the board. He was, he was really ch trying to change the role. He, he was very business oriented and business friendly. And um, that, that created a lot of situations where organized labor did not like his agenda. This was the second time in the history of the board, which goes back to 1935 where the, um, the general counsel had been let go in this way. And the first time was, it was different circumstances. It's still unknown what the impact of that decision was, but organized labor just engaged in a, in a very loud, hell yes, 
like unanimously. They were very happy to see Peter Robb exit. And another guy that was appointed as acting general counsel, Peter Orr, has begun the reversal of many of the Robb changes. Um, so what we're seeing is sort of a, a return it's slow, but it will ramp up over the next several months back to the to the to the time of the Obama board the 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 board under President Obama made many 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 i can't even say many enough times to 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 describe how many changes they made they they transformed labor law at a greater pace than any other board in the history of of the of our government set aside something like 4,500 years of legal precedent during their three-year term and and really made the board much more labor union and labor and employee labor employee friendly um, to the point where it was like okay to say F you to your supervisor on any given day in the office at any time which is just absurd but that was just like one of you know that that was like a small change so we're headed back that way it might not become as radical or as extreme as we saw under the Obama board but the, there's there there are some board sitting board members the first one is a guy named Bill Emanuel his term ends in um, August rumor is he's he would like to be reappointed um, president Biden Biden just nominated a woman named Gwen Wilcox to fill a seat that has been empty for a couple of years. She's an African-American attorney um, that worked with SEIU, Service Employees International Union, which is the largest uh, union in the United States. Very politically active, very tied into the the Biden campaign. Lauren McFerrin, who's been on the board for a number of years, is now the chair. Um, we're going to see a transformation back to the Obama-style uh, board, which is going to be very different and much more friendly to labor unions and a lot less friendly to business over the next year and a half. And then uh, we'll see what happens in 2022 and 2024 as to how long that that lasts. But it's definitely uh, it's definitely going to mean a lot of changes that will impact business like on a daily basis once they get wound up and going. It might take them another eight to ten months to really hit it. But, but it, sometime next year, we're going to see the impact in a big way. What would you recommend, Michael, for those that maybe don't have a lot of experience or exposure to labor relations, particularly those in the service industry? Or it seems like there are some areas probably targeting more so to, to organize things that you would recommend for those folks to look at, review, start reading. So, so there, there are, there are a couple things there. So I'll, I'll finish with the, I'll start with the board and kind of leave, leave, put that off to the side. So, um, and John, you know this well, and I think Wendy, you know it as well. Um, the, the national labor relations board is often viewed by HR people as kind of an esoteric organization that exists in the federal government that they never really hear from. Because unless you have a union organizing campaign or an employee engages in some kind of protected and concerted activity, which results in an unfair labor practice, you don't generally deal with the board, unlike the EEOC or the OFCCP, which are more audit-driven. Different, They manage a different function with a, in a different style. And, and so people just assume that unless you deal with unions, you're not going to hear from the board. And that's incredibly far from the truth. Um, and it and the Obama era act, activism of that board uh, really really proved that. So I think people are more aware, but I also think it's easy to become complacent because once the craziness stopped, we went you know under President Trump, it became very business friendly, kind of back to the Bush days. And and so one of the first things that they that the old Obama board would do is if anybody filed a charge regardless of what the charge was and what the facts were that revolved around that that charge activity, they'd start doing discovery, they being the board, they would start doing their discovery and investigation. And they had a, they had a standing practice that said, anybody who gets a charge, we're going to ask for their handbook. And so we're going to look at their handbook. And if we find anything in the handbook that on its face, the you know, prima facie uh, sort of thing, is, a, is an unfair labor practice, which can be things like it's not okay to talk about wages in the workplace um, and, and simple things that people assume are okay but aren't. So number one, you need to, you need to like make sure that you're up to speed on what powers the board has and look at the, at the Obama agenda, the Obama NLRB agenda, and see the things they focused on because we're going to see a mirror image repeat of those coming at us in the next 12 months. Once you know that, 
then it gives you the clues that you need to know to go look at what the, what things you need to look at within your organization. And the first place to start is with your handbook. Make sure your handbook is in compliance. I mean, you should be doing this anyway, regardless of the board, but make sure your handbook is in compliance and especially is not does not contain things that put any kind of chilling effect or impediment in the way of protected concerted activity, things that allow. So like, like a simple one is that if somebody says, um, I don't feel like I'm being treated fairly. I post something on social media that says, I don't feel like I'm being treated fairly. The company sees it and they come back and they discipline an employee for violating the social media policy. Well, if anybody liked that post or anybody commented on that post that was a coworker, that post probably became protected and concerted, which prevents discipline and prevents retaliation. Um, and all of a sudden you're in the mix, you know, you're in the mix with the board on something that you never even saw coming. So look at look at that kind of stuff and stay out of that jackpot. The second thing is, is there's a there's a piece of legislation, and this is huge, and it's not getting nearly as much attention as it deserves. Um, there's a piece of legislation called the PRO Act, P-R-O, Protecting the Right to Organize Act, and it is essentially a repeat with with even more inclusions of tremendously burdensome requirements for, for business to agree to be unionized and to, to agree to exist under a collective bargaining agreement. Um, for example, um, if, if you, if you're, if you get a, if you get a union election or a card check election and, and a union successfully organizes you, um, one of the big changes the PRO Act would put in place. Right now, employers are obligated under the National Labor Relations Act to bargain in good faith over a first contract. However, neither, neither party in those negotiations are obligated to accept any terms or conditions of employment. As long as you're negotiating in good faith, you can negotiate from now until the, you know, the sun turns blue and, and not have to agree to anything. However, under the PRO Act, I believe the period is 90 days, which is an incredibly short time to put together a collective bargaining agreement. I saw research the other day that says the typical length on a collective bargaining agreement today where people are bargaining in good faith is about 15 months for a first contract. So 90 days is incredibly short. It covers every term and condition of employment from wages and benefits to, to, to work rules, to breaks, to seniority. I mean, it's, it's all your, all your business rules and, and workforce rules and policies. And, and you have to agree to something in 90 days. And if you don't agree, then that contract gets sent to, gets sent to an impartial arbitrator who has the power to impose that first contract. In a very short three-month period, you could be at the mercy of someone who knows nothing about your business, nothing about your relationship with your new union, nothing about your workforce, and they're going to tell you how to run your business for a, for a two-year period. And, and then from there, you have to go back and renegotiate. So incredibly burdensome, incredibly problematic, and um, most people are, are not prepping their C-suite people for the PRO Act or their government affairs and government relations people about avoiding the PRO Act. You really need to go out, familiarize yourself with that, and get get your company ginned up to make sure that they know that they should be talking about this stuff, it, local, local politicians and federal federal level because it's really bad for business if you if it if it gets passed the odds of it happening are probably 50 50 but those could shift quickly if uh if they if they did away with the filibuster and or if 2022 creates a a bigger democratic majority so there's a lot at stake and and not a lot of people as focused on it as they should be let's switch gears a little bit talk podcasting that's how we first connected way back when Drive through continues to thrive. I don't know how long you've been doing. Y'all can remind us how long you've been doing it now. What keeps you going? And then maybe talk a little bit about the Six Degrees project. Yeah, I'd be I'd be happy to talk about Six Degrees. I don't know where that's going to go, but it's so so so. Brian Wempen. I don't know if you guys know Brian. Brian started the Drive Through Podcast back in 2010 as a as a daily 30 minute show for lunch, and he had three questions. The questions were what who are you and what do you do? What keeps you up at night and what's top of mind for you next? So it was really simple formula. He was talking to HR practitioners and he would do one show a day, five days a week. 
and I don't know how he maintained that pace because it's just killer. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I don't know how you guys do one show a month, actually, or one show every whatever. Uh, we did, but it was live, which is different than this, which we're which we're of course recording and we'll drop at a, at a later date with some editing. But Brian did that for a couple of years. He brought William Tincup on as a co-host. They did it for a while, and then it sort of became a community property. And at some point around 2015. I came on as one of the co-hosts, um, and I've been doing it since then, and I guess I'll take credit. I, I was kind of the one that kept it alive back in the day when everybody else was sort of fading out. And um, I, w- I was burned out on blogging. I had been blogging from 2010 to 2015, and I, I, I wrote a lot. I had a couple different blogs. I wrote a lot, and then I sort of hit a, a writer's block wall that I still haven't broken much. I just can't write much anymore unless it's work-based. If I have to, I can do it. But for my muse is dead, apparently. But with podcasting, it's easy to talk. It's easy to generate, especially with a live thing. You schedule it. And that for me, that's the biggest pain in the ass is the scheduling piece. But once we get the show going, it's still fun. I, I love the format. It, it always – I learn something. Um, I feel really good about the content we create, that it helps provide people um, you know, with some sort of things that they don't necessarily hear. We've been trying to do some unique guests outside, not so much outside the HR space, but more on the fringes of HR. And, and Robin Schooling came along in, I think, in 2016 or 17, and she and I have been doing our shows together most of the time together since then. And she's a great podcast partner, as, as seems to be with you guys, a great pairing. So we're, you know, we have different interests, but we, we keep it ticking along. Um, and then, of course, there are a couple other co-hosts that, that work with us from time to time. So we keep trying to freshen it up. We keep trying to keep it alive. But it's it's just a passion project for us. We don't monetize it. We don't really try to fund it. We do it because we love the, the format and we love the learning and we love the connections it makes makes for us. And for me, I don't have to write. I can talk all day. I don't have to write. So that's awesome. Over the last, Especially during the pandemic, I really felt like with all that downtime, I should be doing something more, but I, you know, it was hard to figure out what that should be. And I tried writing and I have been able to write a little bit lately, but still not anything that I'm really inspired or passionate about. But I hired a life, a life and career coach earlier this year. And I asked her, I asked her to help me work on three things, uh, creativity, which kind of is the writing and other, other forms of, you know, whatever the muse is for somebody self-care, both in the form of sort of like mental self-care and then also uh, physical. Uh, and, and the physical was sort of uh, the third one. Um, I felt like I was getting fat and old, <laughs> which we all are. <laughs> and every day is a greater risk for that. But, you know, it was like, I just felt like there was something more I could learn. So uh, I hired a woman named Carrie Bucci who lives in Philadelphia. I've been working with her. We've been doing some work um, about halfway through a 12, a 12-hour coaching package with her. And the, the six degrees thing had been in the back of my mind for a while, but kind of doing that work with Carrie got me interested in kind of really trying to bring it to fruition. And to simply explain it, it it's really just an, a, an idea to try something different in the, on the podcasting front. Um, it's based around the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You know, Do you know what I mean when I say the six degrees? So more or less, the theory is that in, in Hollywood, um, if, you, if you do any kind of work in Hollywood, you, you can't do work in Hollywood without being within six people of someone who's been in a film or worked on a film with Kevin Bacon, right? It's like Kevin Bacon, you know, is uh, transcends uh, humanity in Hollywood and, and there's a, you know, within three degrees. So I, I was kind of, I thought that I've always thought that was funny. And, and what, but what I came up with was this concept of six degrees and essentially it works like this. I'm going to start with Carrie. Cause I thought, you know, why not make the, why not make the work, why not make the podcast part of the work I'm doing with her? So, so the initial premise is at one of these days, we've tried a couple times and we had technical glitches, but I think we'll do it in the next two weeks. I'm going to record a one hour live coaching session with Carrie. She's going to, you know, we're going to talk about kind of the work we've done, where we're at, a recap, why we're doing it and what the podcast is about. And the, the premise of the podcast is, is to explore connection, connectivity, and kind of how far you can take connectivity with this theory of six degrees of Kevin Bacon. So Carrie is going to pick the next guest for the podcast. So when we're done with the show, at the end of the show, there will be like a reveal moment. 
And Carrie will tell us, I've arranged for, you know, John Thurman or Wendy to be the next guest. And, and then, and so then it'll be my responsibility to schedule the, that second interview and conduct a, conduct a podcast, you know, interview with them about what they do and why they do it and that sort of thing. And then that guest, part of their obligation by scheduling themselves is they pick the next person. So each guest sort of, you know, I have no control. I have no say so. Each guest sort of leads you down a path that you don't know where it's going to go. My my silly goal is is hopeful that somebody within the six shows will actually connect me to Kevin Bacon. <laughs> I think that's probably unlikely, but until it's over and done, I can't tell for sure, right? So, but but really what I'm interested in is the discussions, the dialogue, and where the sort of following the unknown path will take me, right? And I may just do this one six-episode series and go, well, that was fun, but it doesn't really make any sense. But at the same time, it may lead into sort of a like a, a, a number of short seasons or something. And, you know, you could, if it works out, maybe I tweak the formula a little bit. But it, but it, but it has, it has um, much as drive-thru does, it has spawned uh, an excitement for me in, in the creative side of myself that I haven't felt in a while from writing. And so it's very cool to kind of be thinking about and looking at, at a project with anticipation and interest and, and, and a certain, a certain sense of dread because I have, like I, ha- I might be interviewing a, a, a doctor, a brain surgeon, and I don't know what to ask that person, you know? So it's a little bit, it, it's exciting, but it's also a little bit daunting if that makes sense. So that's the, that's the six degrees pod or the six degrees project. And I'm, I'll be interested to see it if it, if we actually get six shows and where it goes. That will be very interesting. Looking forward to that for sure. So Michael, we have actually started outsourcing some of our work and uh, we are collecting questions from our guests. Previous guest Jane Murtaugh asks, how do we as HR pros work with SHRM and employers to have them recognize the value of HR certificate programs instead of simply recognizing four-year degrees as a requirement for certain HR roles? When I when I read this question earlier today, I went, "This is a bad question for me." So uh, <laughs> maybe we should preface it a little bit, Michael. Do you know Jane? I do not. Okay, so Jane is a professor at College of DuPage up in okay. Chicago, mm-hmm. and she has developed this certificate program for her students. It's just a one year, so it's two two semesters. It's a one year one year program, and. She has pushed, I think she's had, what, Wendy, 100 students or so yeah. go through so far. Seen a lot of success with it. Trying to figure out how do you, how do you get that engagement or interest? How do, how do we want? So this is her own created certification program versus like the SHRM. Correct. Or it's not, yeah, it's, it's right. not letters behind your name. It's an actual yeah. degree yeah. track. So the reason that I went <clears throat> is I have never been certified with SHRM. I've never sat for either HRCI or the, or the current, whatever it is, SCP, um, because I have a master's, whether it's right or wrong, in my head, for whatever reason, I just don't see the need to sit for a test to prove that I know stuff that I already know, okay? I'm not, whether that's right or wrong, it's just always been my, I've been, I've been reluctant to sit for it. I work for a guy who's lifetime certified and, you know, tested out of ever having to do recertification credits again 20 years ago, right? So we're at opposite ends of the spectrum there. However, as far as gaining additional credentials, looking at different programs, um, certifying yourself with continuing education skills, I think that Jane's idea is really important because um, I'm, there, there, I don't know. I don't know if you guys, either one of you, did this. I missed it, and I live in the state where it was run. The University of South Florida just did a d- diversity in, uh, inclusion and DEI certification, where something like three hundred and twenty-five thousand people went through the course over uh, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, my my Tampa Bay uh, Stanley Cup holding team of preference right now was one of the main sponsors of that program. And they did it at no, the, the school provided this to 300 and some thousand uh, business professionals across the country over a period of eight weeks at no charge to any of those individuals. And apparently it was an excellent course and gave a credential in DEI at a time when that's a huge, huge emphasis for business. Um, and, and it's got people thinking, I see people just uh, posting the credly, uh, 
the credly uh, gif, you know, sort of image that they that they gave out, and and it and it's it seems to have really made a lot of uh, made a great impact on a lot of people who attended the course. So I think that Jane's question is, how do we do that? I think um, Q had a certification for for labor relations, um, and we usually had forty or fifty people go through that a year. You offer you have to offer a course that's relevant. Whether it's it doesn't have to necessarily be super mainstream like the USF course does, but it has to be relevant and it has to teach practical skills and experience. It can't just be theoretical stuff, and and it has to go beyond just proving that you know the laws and the compliance requirements. I think and I think that's much more beneficial personally. I'm more much more oriented to, towards pursuing a credential like that than I am the Sherm. Uh, the Sherm credits. Not that those are bad. I'm not against them. It just it, it never suited me to prove how smart I am to someone else because they tested me and agreed that I'm smart. And that may sound arrogant, but that's just how I looked at it. However, having learning all the time super important. I think that Jane's question requires that she, that she has to figure out how to market and advertise her uh, product to other outside the student population, which is maybe more daunting. But I say you know working with folks like you or us on drive through and, you know, coming on and talking about things like it, you know, and that sort of thing would be a great, one great way to kind of help with that. So now, Michael, it is time for a shortened version of everyone's favorite part of our show, which is the where are they now question connection. What has been the best thing to happen to you from taking part in the HR social hour? I got to know you guys because, um, it was, it was, it, and it, it'll, it probably sounds a little odd. I, I, I distinctly remember like suddenly going, who the heck are John and Wendy? Um, and I think I'm, I think I may have said a similar thing when I was back on, on episode 44, because you guys, to me anyway, sort of just burst on the scene and started doing some really, I thought, really innovative and cool work in, in a way that surprised me because it, as one of the jaded original people who was kind of around for the first pass of social media and there was such a frustration about like getting people to know what we were trying to talk about and what we were doing. And then to see you guys coming like 10, 10 ish years later and doing similar things, Twitter chats and podcasts, but bringing a new energy to it. And that you had a whole new, uh, a whole new army of followers and people that you were talking to outside of sort of the original pod or click of, of social media folks. It was, it was really cool. And, and that has just, um, and John, like your comic book podcasts and all the other stuff you're doing at work, I mean, uh, you know, with your employer to do pod. I mean, you guys were right on that wave. You were ahead of the wave and you wrote it. And now, like, everybody in the world has a podcast and, and it's hard to keep up. But it was it was just really cool to see that there was like a, a second generation. That's a weird way to say it, but that's kind of how it felt with you guys. Like you were like, like it was cool to see that it was, you know, still possible to do that kind of stuff because back when it happened initially in 2007, 2008, 2009, it was so exciting and so transformative for me in my career. I sort of felt like that had, that moment had passed, but it turned out not to be true. And you guys were like the living, breathing proof of that. So that was, that was really exciting for me actually back then. And and still is. Well, Michael, the last question, you were asked a question from Jane. If you got to ask the next guest of the show a question, what would it be? <sighs> I didn't prep this one, John. Uh, so That's okay. let, me take a, let me take a moment to ponder in that sage way that soon-to-be 64-year-olds do, which means I'm squinting my eyes and going, I have to fake this somehow. No, I, I think that um, the question that I keep bringing up is – what has the pandemic done to work? And like, I, there are so many things we don't know right now, right? Like the unemployment issue, you know, I keep hearing people say, Oh, it's $300 a week. Well, that, that's probably a part of it, but I don't believe that's, that's all of it. And so I guess my question is in a year when all the, all these sort of influences and pressures that are still going to shake out of the marketplace, where will we be? Is remote work going to really continue to be a hot issue? Are we still going to be 8 million people short of filling our jobs? Those are there, There's more than one question there, but it's like, what has the pandemic really wrought on the field of HR and how are we going to respond, I guess, is a big rhetorical question that I would throw out there. 
we're glad we don't have to answer that one because it is bigger than absolutely. Uh, think. But, but I look forward to the response that we do get. Michael, again, it, so much appreciate you coming back. Certainly appreciate the kind words and for, as always dropping labor relations knowledge because we don't get enough of that here sometimes. For those listeners that may not be connected with you, but now they're going to want to, best way for them to reach you out there? Um, I would say probably I, I used to have a blog and now all three versions of my blog are dead. I've la- allowed them all to lapse. I may start another one one of these days, but not yet. So I would say probably Twitter, which is at Mike Vandervoort, M-I-K-E-V-A-N-D-E-R-V-O-R-T, or Michael Vandervoort, which is where I'm, which is what I am everywhere else. Michael Vandervoort on LinkedIn. Either one of those places, hit me up. I'll respond. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and every place else, but those two are the main places that are easy to find me. So I appreciate you guys having me on. It's been fun. I really appreciate the chance to come back. Well, we'll have that in the show notes, and we look forward to hopefully seeing you down the road. Maybe we can have a margarita together. I would love that. I cannot wait for the return to live events. I'm speaking next week. Actually, I'm not that next week. I'm speaking on Wednesday at a half-day local HR conference in Daytona. I'm doing a five-minute Ignite speech for the second time this year. So um, we're slowly making our way back to the real world, which is awesome. We'll look forward to getting there with you, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care, you guys. Thanks, thanks a lot. Bye. A world where working habits and patterns have been forever changed, feeling connected to the systems, tools, and people that you rely on daily can be increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Imagine a digital launchpad to all of your sites, systems, and applications. A place where no matter where in the world you are, you can communicate, collaborate, share, and feel truly connected to your workplace and colleagues. Say hello to the future of workplace engagement. Say hello to Hula. Hula is a more human way to work and play. It allows you to organize and streamline your work and life inside a beautiful and customizable user experience. The future of work is a simple, beautiful, and smart way to link you to everywhere. Hula makes life and work easier. No more endless clicking and searching for links. It's probably the easiest three clicks you'll ever make to get to the content you need most. It's that simple. Hula is everything you need now in one place. Try Hula for free today at Hula.io. All right. And we are super pumped to welcome Kayla Monkeo back to the show again and again and again. Technical difficulties are awesome. But Kayla, what is in your glass tonight? Hi, Wendy. Hi, John. Thank you so much for having me here to your point again and again and again. It's one of my favorite things to do is to spend time with y'all. And tonight I'm a little more boring than I was last night. So I just have some water in my cup. But last night I had a boozy Arnold Palmer from the hotel bar that I'm staying at in Nashville. Um, And it was so boozy that I only had one while I was uh, chatting with (laughs) y'all. When we peel the curtain back, this is a take two, or now really like a take two and a half with Kayla. We've only had one time before where the recording didn't record, and last night we had this amazing conversation, which is going to be more amazing now because we keep getting to try it again. (laughs) Anyhow, we had a conversation, and Kayla's tracked it, just never recorded. While you have appeared since, but only for us, your first appearance on the show to everyone else, Kayla, was episode 96, which was December of 2019. A lot's gone on for all of us since then, but what are you up to now? Man, I'm all, I'm still amazed hearing that your episode 96 was in December of 2019 and how much just incredible content that y'all produce. And you know I'm such a huge fan of the podcast and love you both a ton. Um, but to your point, John, a lot has happened um, since 2019, and I'm currently having the time of my life living outside of my comfort zone um, at a startup, and I'm their senior manager of HR operations, uh, and I think that both of you know me really, really well, and I think some of the listeners know me, and employee relations is really where my comfort zone is um, kind of the heartbeat of my career for a long time. So to step out of that comfort zone, get into the operational piece um, is one of the biggest and most rewarding stretch assignments that I've ever done. I'm so glad I made that leap uh, to step outside of employee relations, still have some employee relations work, of course, but definitely not my main uh, point of focus. And I'm currently traveling between Nashville 
uh, where we have an office, our New York headquarters, and then my home in Austin, Texas, as I help to open up um, or reopen really our offices post pandemic for those that are comfortable coming in. And um, I think all of us, you know, the three of us, as well as the listeners have done work in their lives that feels like legacy work. And what I'm doing right now feels just like legacy work. Such an honor to just be with employees and the community of people that we have at the company and helping them feel comfortable when they want to come back and finding the best way to have hybrid models and really being a part of bringing people back into a post-pandemic work life. So I'm tired, y'all, but I'm having the time of my life. What is this organization? We talked a little bit about it previous. Yeah. So it's called the Farmer's Dog, and we make human-grade dog food that's shipped directly to your home. And I couldn't have found a better spot, number one, because I have the most amazing dog named Ezra, who's just this big floof of a guy. Um, And dogs have been a huge part of my life. But also, uh, the real mission of the company is something that I can stand behind. I think sometimes in HR, we work in industries where we love people, but the industry is kind of like, ah, we work in tech and it's like, yeah, there's 18,000 platforms or whatever. But when you work for a dog company that has been proven to actually improve the life of dogs and the life expectancy of dogs, and each day there's hundreds of Slack messages about dogs who were given a prognosis and now they've lived longer than that because they're on our food. Um, The joy is tangible And um, my dog has never looked or been healthier to be completely transparent with you. And getting to bring him to work every day is probably one of the best perks I've ever had. I love it. Um, Obviously, other dog person here to big dogs. So um, when you get some free samples, you know, ship them my way. They they would. Wendy, I got a box for you. (laughs) I have a free box right for you. I'll text you later. (laughs) They yeah, they are. Uh, we joke they're scavengers, but they're not good at it because they'll eat anything, but they won't go, you know, if they had to find it, that would, they would be in trouble, but <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, you, yeah, you can tell that this job agrees with you so much. It's, you know, it shows in, in your, your smile and your, your voice. So, so happy that you have found that. And, you know, the, the pandemic proved very um, eventful. 2020 was very eventful for you from a work perspective, not just from, because of the pandemic. Tell us what you learned about yourself during that time that kind of surprised you. I think the, the pandemic in 2020 as a whole um, was the biggest growth experience of my life so far, my career so far. And just for a quick backstory, when we first met and, and chatted really um, in December of 2019, I was at a company that was headquartered in Austin. Then the pandemic hit and the racial reckoning that has needed to happen for decades was when centuries really was finally happening. And uh, I reached out to uh, a couple of my business units extending the employee assistance program, our EAP, as um, we were watching televised more and more black men being murdered in the streets. And I was formally reprimanded for that. And so um, I resigned on the spot. I tweeted this out and John Thurman blew up my Twitter life because I tweeted out that this had happened and John retweeted it. And I think I woke up to over 2000 retweets of just the entire HR community coming in force uh, of support and trying to find me a role. And Wendy, you reposted it. And it just, it blew up um, really because of you two. And uh, after that, a moment of high, high exposure for living out the morals that I've always lived. This was just kind of the first time it was really in the spotlight. I was unemployed for almost nine months. And I learned some really ugly and really beautiful things about myself in that time. And um, I'm happy to share an ugly and a beautiful truth that I learned uh, because I think that there may be truths that other other people, at least ones that I've talked to, are are learning too. And the ugly one that I learned in this time uh, was that my career truly defined my identity entirely. And when I didn't have a job in HR, I was wholly lost, like completely and totally lost. And 
Brene Brown actually describes this for uh, professional athletes, like when they win the Stanley Cup or when they uh, win the Super Bowl and it's a hollow win. And it's this idea that you have placed your identity maybe in a destination or a job and not actually who you are. And so it was um, such a dark time uh, to learn that I didn't really know who Kayla was. I just knew who the HR pro was. And I didn't really understand how much I had wrapped my entire personality and identity into being an HR. And so while it was dark, it really produced the beautiful part of what I learned in quarantine and um, being unemployed. And that is that I am one of the best equipped people to do hard and holy things. And HR is a hard and holy work. There's some sacred stuff that we get to do in HR and some really, really hard things that we get to do in HR. And because I started to learn who I was outside of my job and I started to figure out um, who Kayla Monkayo really was, I really started to find my voice and became more and more confident and uh, truly believe that I'm the best HR professional that I could be at this time in my life simply because I stopped being an HR professional and started being Kayla. Kayla, those things that you learned, we talked about the fact that I kind of wandered in the wilderness for a bit after my layoff many years ago and tried to figure out what, what did I want to do because I was so wrapped up in one organization and one job. With the with that time to reflect and the other things that you did, what did you learn and how did you apply that in that job search and landing with the farmer's dog? I think when you are searching, much like you and me, John, and I'm sure Wendy and many others, there's a stillness that can come about when you're just resigned to the fact that you are unemployed. And in that stillness, as I was learning about, oh my goodness, I don't really know Kayla. I only know the HR professional. I had the most amazing conversation with Laura Mazzullo, who we we all know and love on uh, here on the podcast. And Laura um, just caught me in this like serendipitous moment where I was just kind of coming out of the darkness and stepping into like, I think that I I think I know who I am, or I think I'm figuring that out. And Laura is a brilliant recruiter. um, And I don't even think that title does her justice. She's like the best matchmaker in um, employment history. And anyway, Laura and I had this conversation and Laura said to me, you have to write down what you want in your next org and what you want in your next company and, and be very specific, like compensation, leadership style, like write it down. And I don't know why it hit me so powerfully in that moment. And, and I'm completely watering down the way that Laura coached me. I got off the call with her and I started to physically, and, and she was really adamant, like don't type it, write it. And I started to write down, everything that I, Kayla, wanted as an employee for the first time ever. Instead of thinking about um, necessarily the work, right, I was thinking about my actual environment. So I wrote down compensation. I wrote down what actual values and a mission looks like to me. I wrote down what true DEI work I needed to see in order to join. I talked about um, the type of leadership and management style that I needed and And I did go into some of the work that I wanted to do, although how funny that I was an employee relations expert now doing ops. And so as I wrote all of that down, it was so easy for me to turn positions down or not even apply. So those criteria, I stuck to them, number one, because I really trusted Laura, but number two, because those those criteria were really reflecting me as a human instead of me as this uh, HR robot, right? And I jumped into a ridiculous amount of interviews and was able to say no to the right ones um, and also or say no to the wrong ones, excuse me, but then also very much recognize that the farmer's dog was the right one when they came along because each and every one of those criteria boxes were checked. And it was like lightning was striking every time I was meeting with somebody there. Um, And there were just some really beautiful experiences that led me to know this is different this is right. This speaks to your soul as a person and not just as an HR robot. And so the the things that I learned and the serendipitous, beautiful coaching I got from Laura led me to a role that to Wendy's point really agrees with me. One of the things that I've been really excited to see from you, Kayla, since, since 2019, but especially in the last year, 
you've been very, very active when it comes to blogging and being engaged from a social media perspective and sharing your thoughts on a myriad of topics. Now, I recognize the last few months have been hard living out of a suitcase (laughs) when it comes to that. Anything, though, that you've got coming up or something that you're working on that you can share with us? Well, I have to start by saying that I don't think I would even be the blogger or writer or courageous outspoken HR person I am without having been on the show in December of 2019. And John, we've talked about that first time you called me. I was such a huge fan, just like a total HR nerd. And I mean that in the best way Um, and listened to the podcast and shared it with some of my friends that were in HR. And we talked about it on a group text and all of that. And when you emailed me, I don't know if I, I think I told you this, but I thought it was spam. And, and I was like, there's I get that no a lot. freaking way. I know. I was like, there's no way that John Thurman is reaching out to me. But then you called me and it was your voice <laughs> that I had heard so many times on the podcast. And what amazed me about you and Wendy was um, that you wanted to hear from me. And just being totally transparent up until that point in my career Uh, the brown girl at the HR table wasn't necessarily the one that people were calling on. And while I had lots of ideas, I didn't always have have lots of opportunities to share them. And that made me uh, more hesitant about sharing content globally uh, that really represented my heart, my morals, and the way that I practice HR. But I, I spent time with you all and had such an amazing response from the incredible HR community that um, I started to write. I felt like Alexander Hamilton, like just I couldn't stop writing and I had to, I didn't even know when to publish or anything. And so just the blog alone and the courage that you all gave me has been remarkable and the responses. And the reason that I have the job that I have is because of the connection that you all gave me with Tracy Sponenberg, um, which we can certainly talk about if we want. When it comes to upcoming content, you're right. Living out of a suitcase has certainly um, stifled the blog uh, schedule. However, I do have um, the amazing opportunity to write for Vadim Lieberman, um, who was so gracious with me as I have missed deadlines. Um, but I'm writing a column, an employee relations column for ERE and TLNT, which is a huge honor for me and so much fun. Um, and then on my personal blog, I have a few really powerful, deep thoughts um, that I've been sitting with for a while now on post-pandemic HR, on a racially reckoned HR. So those are coming, but they're they're real labors of love, those posts, um, because I'm pulling a lot of ugliness out of me as I write them. And then lastly, um, I have started writing a book and been in some talks with some people. So no dates or anything yet, but just felt courageously, like I don't have to spend 50 years in HR um, in order to write something powerful that could be long lasting. So that's upcoming as well. Exciting. So Kayla, we have started doing some outsourcing to help with writing some of our questions, and it has been a load of fun. Sam Genegas asks, tell us about your favorite mistake and why it is your favorite. You know, Sam, why I had to come after you was such a tough question. I've been thinking about since I got this question, uh, how bold. So thank you. Um, thank you for the introspection. The mistake, my, my favorite mistake uh, has been a recent one in the past year. And it's my favorite because it just, it sticks. I don't know about y'all, but there are just moments in life, teachable moments in life that just stick. And hopefully those are fa- your favorite, even when they're painful. I recently, within the last year, gave feedback too soon. And I have this theory that you cannot uh, withdraw from an employee until you give enough deposits like a bank account. Otherwise, the transaction will decline or the check will bounce. And I've written about it. I have one of one of my favorite blog posts that I've ever written about is about how conflict will never be comfortable, but relationships are. And despite all of that, I needed to give feedback to somebody and the working relationship was fairly new. 
And so I was caught in this interesting conundrum of this feedback needs to be timely, but I also haven't put enough deposits in. And I made the mistake of giving the feedback and not upping my deposits first. And there's a very interesting line in my life or my experience that you don't want to let the feedback lag, but you've got, you have to absolutely build rapport with people in order to give tough criticism. And um, because I didn't do that, the employee was, you know, wounded and hurt, uh, rightfully so, even though I used every de-escalation tactic that I knew how to make it go well. The lesson for me isn't to wait on feedback. The lesson for me was to expedite my deposits, be so purposeful in my deposits. And some of those are simple. Some of those are just checking in on somebody's weekend and asking about their spouse or their partner. It's about remembering the little things and sending them a gift card just for no reason. And what I have now, why that's my favorite now is it tactically actually changed me. So I have a spreadsheet if that tells you anything about the way that my brain works. Um, And I have a tab for each of my direct reports as well as my stakeholders. And I keep a list of of the emotional deposits that I'm trying to make or that I have made with them. And the list is less about, look at all the things I've done. It is actually an accountability tool for me to look back and say, man, I haven't deposited anything uh, into John in the last week. I've got to do that. So I have time on my calendar every single week to look at that list, see if I need to update it or what deposits I need to make. And that way, regardless of when the feedback comes or what the feedback is, we have a strong enough rapport quickly um, to really make that feedback land well um, and nothing bounce or or get declined. So it was a tough, tough lesson. Uh, Clearly, I'm still carrying it pretty close to the chest because it, it hurts for me. Um, I could fail at every project and be fine. But if I fail as a leader, then I'd rather just hang my hat. So it's been quite an experience, definitely a favorite and and severely changed me in a really good way. Well, Kayla, it is now time for everyone's favorite part of our show, which is the half hour question connection. But for where are they now? We condense it. We've talked about how much you loved and what's happening happened to you since being on the social hour the first time. Hard to top that with, you know, you got a job and you've gotten to talk to Tracy Spannenberg and Laura Mazzullo. But what is the next best thing that has happened to you from taking part in the HR social hour? Well, I feel like I'm cheating because they're so similar, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. Um This community has changed my life. This HR community has changed my life, changed the way that I practice HR and changed what I bring to the table every day. The tactical one, like the one that everybody always wants to hear is like, I got my job at the farmer's dog because the previous head of humans was connected to Tracy, who, by the way, everybody should be connected to. That's literally a plug for Tracy. I'm obsessed with her. Tracy and I were connected because no joke, December of 2019, my podcast episode with y'all drops. And Tracy literally is the first person to retweet it and says, anybody that John and Wendy love, I love, go listen to this. And then Tracy became one of my closest friends. um, And I'm crazy about her now. So we connected on LinkedIn. Previous head of humans at TFD was also connected to Tracy. And Tracy reshared or commented on one of my blog posts. That head of humans saw it, clicked on it, read it messaged me immediately and said, we got to have you on making a position. And so while the position was certainly already in the pipeline, it was a little ways down the road. And so I feel grateful that they expedited that. Um, so of course, there's that piece of what what an honor and an amazing experience that I was able to, you know, get this job because of connections through y'all. But this HR community has gone through such a, a war And I have been so just blessed, honestly, to go and walk through life with them. We have buried our parents together. Uh, My mom passed away in December of 2020. And some of the kindest, most loving things came from the HR community. We have dealt with the pandemic together and weathered all of the HIPAA changes and the OSHA changes and the mask mandates. Um, we've seen babies, HR babies get born and people get married and incredible laws be enacted to protect the uh, diverse group of HR pros that we have. 
and I would not be who I am. And I mean that with everything in me, I wouldn't be who I am without this community that continues to surround me, walk with me, let me do life with them. Um, and they do life with me. So I, I couldn't be more grateful if I tried. Throwing in a question, Caleb, because I still think about this a lot. You are still the only person I know that talks about being an HR fire breather. <laughs> Have you given any more consideration to those fire breathing lessons, oh. fire eating lessons, to then do it on horseback at some point? John, the whole reason you connected with me was because that is my title on LinkedIn. That is, that is, yeah. it's not the entire reason, but that was so. That was one of, that was pretty you, high. You, you, you put it out there and it's so unique. And <laughs> your story to it is so unique. I asked you then, though, were you thinking about it? Or again, I know, and I know your love of horses. I think it'd be awesome to see you do that. That's like a battle of the network stars. <laughs> like you're trying to remember that show. That's some like crazy, you know, like reality show thing. If we have some kind of HR reality show, you would win for riding a horse and eating fire. I think that. <laughs> well, when you make that reality show, I'll start practicing. How does that sound? Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, that was my question. Now you, for you, you know, you had that opportunity to answer Sam's question and appreciate her contributing. You get that chance now. If you could ask the next guest of the show any question, what would it be? What does vulnerable HR look like in and outside of work? I appreciate the yeah, and I appreciate the fact you didn't change it from last time because I wrote it down last time, and I don't have to write it down again. Well, you know what? I I stole a little of that from Brene Brown, and I listened to another one of her podcasts this morning. So I'm real committed to hear whoever gets that with their response. Because you know what? I don't really want to answer it myself, so I hope it's a challenge. We are glad that we don't have to answer them. We we pick and choose. We did that for. Episode 174, we, yeah. we chose a few that uh, we thought would be fun. But Kayla, again, it's been such a yeah. such a joy to spend time with you. And again, I'm so happy to see where things have gone for you in the last bit of time. I know it was a real challenge. It's great to see you come out just like the phoenix comes out of the fire. <laughs> see, I'm going to tie it all back into that. Well I, done. That's what happens. You read a lot of comic books. Uh, <laughs> for those listeners that aren't connected, I can't imagine they're not. But if they are not and they want to catch up with you best way for them to reach out there linkedin is the easiest kayla moncayo um and then twitter which i've been saying this since 2019 i'm bad at the twitter and y'all won't let me say it but i really am uh but i man if we're not connected i hope that you would connect with me this community is the most beautiful part of being an hr truly so come hang out i'd love to i'd love to meet you on the social it, it's been a joy again appreciate you being with us and we will we will have to have you back to hear more about. Well, y'all, I, uh, Wendy's going to have to give a dog food review at some point. Yeah, or absolutely. maybe have her dogs yeah, on. To I don't do dogs give testimonies. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to have to figure all that out. We we got time. Yeah, we got did. some time. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm so excited for you. I love you, and I I can't thank y'all enough for walking with me. People on the podcast listening only get to hear these minutes that we spend, but. John, you text me regularly. Wendy, you reach out to um, just to check in. John, you just, you send a text like randomly. How's it going? How are you? So I know people listening only get to hear these conversations and and I'm grateful for this conversation, but want to thank you for all the behind the scenes relationship we get to have. We will do it again soon. Love it. Thank you. Amazing. All right. Bye. Bye. Wendy, I commented before we started recording the close here that these were so much fun because they were such different conversations, but I gained so much out of both of them. Very good conversations. Obviously I don't do a lot with employee relations or not employee relations, labor relations. And so it's always nice to learn about that um, and confirm my choice to not go into labor relations. <laughs> um, so that was, I mean, that was fun. It was interesting with, with Mike and then obviously talking with Kayla and um, her journey over the past year. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of folks that have been on similar journeys. So uh, for her to be open to sharing that with us was phenomenal. Very, very different conversations, people with very different perspectives and very different places in their careers, which is, I think one of the great things about doing the show as long as we have. And, you know, I believe this episode is our 240th total show that we've put out. Wow. Uh, it is 175 numbered, but it's 240 total. 
And, you know, we talked in our last episode about we've talked to so many people. We don't try to keep a head count anymore. But I really do love these where they now, particularly when they're with folks that we haven't talked to in depth for quite a while with so much going on for both of them. It was awesome. I really enjoyed chatting with them and I'm happy that we were able to do it. Certainly hope you'll connect with Michael and Kayla both and they shared their contact information. Wendy, how about you? Best way for listeners to reach you out there. Uh, Best way to find me is on my blog, mydailyjourney.com. Daily is D as in dog, A-I-L-E-Y. And of course, the second and fourth Sunday of each month, you will find me on Twitter, 7 p.m. Eastern time as part of our twice monthly Twitter chat. How about you, John? Once again, want to thank Hewler for sponsoring this month of episodes. I look forward to sharing more with them down the road. And again, thanks to Hewler and Nikki and, and the entire team there for being part of this conversation. And as for me, johntherman.com for all things John Thurman for the show, hrsocialhourpodcast.podbean.com. Listen, review, share, follow anything and everything you do to help us boost our signal. We appreciate international listeners. I, I don't even know what to say anymore. <laughs> I, I I am so blown away. In the month of June, we had nine new countries join our download family. Crazy. And that's just a a testament to all of you that have been part of the show, continue to be part of the show, and people giving us a listen and finding something that resonates because it's not just necessarily one download, it's multiples. And extremely exciting. We would love to talk to you regardless of where you are. Because we want to understand what you're doing and how you do yep. it and, and being part of our community in that way would be would be wonderful. So if you feel so inclined, send us a note and, and let's have that conversation. Wendy, congratulations for uh, getting through all the technical issues we had. This one was a little more uh, entertaining than others, but we made it together. And again, uh, 175, we will look forward to doing Where Are They Now? Part 7 oh uh, next quarter. Yeah. yeah, hard to believe. Looking forward to the month ahead and... We're just going to keep at it. So for the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast, I'm John. And I'm Wendy. And as always, be sure to connect. Give back and Network. network. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon.